Chapter 15 of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eric Metzler. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lowell. Part 3 The Evidences of Evolution. Section 2 Morphology and Adaptations. Chapter 15a Coloration and Mimicry. Coloration. Everyone, whether a trained observer or not, has been struck with the wonderful range of colors borne by different members of the animal kingdom, and this is especially true in the tropics, where riotous color is the rule. In New England, on the other hand, conspicuous coloring is relatively rare. To the student of biology, coloration of animals is of striking interest, for much of it is intelligible as part of the great adaptation scheme of nature. But all colors are not adaptive, and sometimes it is impossible to account for the existence of certain hues from the standpoint of utility. Our first question, therefore, is as to the means whereby color is produced, after which we may pass to a discussion of its significance. Color Production Color in nature is the result of some sort of interference with the beams of white light, either through the absorption of certain of the component rays, allowing others to be reflected to the eye, or by some arrangement of surface sculpturing or prismatic glass, which refracts a beam of light and breaks it up into its constituent rays. The first method is chemical, by means of the absorptive powers of pigment, and the second is physical. Pigment is found in nearly all portions of an animal's anatomy, not only on the surface, but in the deeper-lying parts as well. In some instances, the color is merely due to the absorptive powers of the chemical substance of which the tissues are composed, as, for instance, the hemoglobin, a compound of iron which gives the red color to the blood of the vertebrates and certain worms, or hemocyanin, which gives the blue color to the blood of the octopus, both of these substances have a respiratory function, as they are the oxygen-carrying media of the blood, and their color is determined just as that of any mineral or chemical substance is determined, and has no other significance to the animal in which it is found. Again, the pigment may be external and give a color to the organism which may have a real value in the struggle for existence. Such pigment seems to be primarily for that purpose and the cells which contain it are differentiated into plain pigment, which gives an unchanging hue to the animal, that is one incapable of rapid temporary alteration, and chromatophores or changeable pigment spots, such as produce the flushes of color which pass over the skin of a chameleon or of a squid. These are cells which have radiating fibers lying in a plane parallel to the surface of the skin. During a period of relaxation, the mass of pigment lies deep and thus presents but a small visible area. Upon contraction of the fibers, however, the pigment is spread over a greater portion of the surface and thus is manifest to the eye. Two sets of contrastingly colored chromatophores, such as brown and green, expanding alternately, change the general hue of the animal from brown to green, or the reverse as the case may be. The chromatophores are under the control of the nervous, sympathetic system and produce color changes, as for instance in the African chameleons, 
or the American lizard, Anolis, the false chameleon of the southern states. Physical colors. Another change or play of colors is caused by surface sculpturings, usually in the form of finely incised parallel lines, often running in more than one direction. The device is comparable to that used by physicists for spectrum analysis and known as the Roland grating. This instrument is generally made of spectrum metal which does not readily tarnish, upon which are ruled, with an engine of highest precision, some 10 to 20 or even 40,000 parallel lines to the inch. A beam of light falling upon such a grating is broken up into its component colors, giving the rainbow effect known as the spectrum and comparable to that produced by the passage of the beam through a crystal prism. The sculptured surface of a beetle's wing or the scales upon that of a butterfly or the feathers of a hummingbird's throat produce the same result, except that instead of a series of colors, such as those of the rainbow, but one may be seen from a given point, and this changes to another when the angle of vision is changed. The tropical butterfly Morpho ranges from blue to a greenish hue, while the ruby-throated hummingbird, or the neck of some pigeons, changes from a brilliant metallic red to a lustrous green. The scales of Morpho, when seen under the microscope, exhibit two sets of striae perpendicular to each other, which accounts for the play of single colors rather than a spectrum, due to their mutual interference. Strangely enough, the actual color of the scales is seen by transmitted rather than refracted light is neither green nor blue, but brown. Biological significance of color. Indifferent colors. From the biological standpoint, the colors of animals may be considered under various heads of non-selection value, but possibly of vital importance to certain ancestors of different environment are certain so-called indifferent colors. Of such would be the brilliant scarlet of some of the filaments or fin rays of certain deep-sea fishes, Gunther. These colors are borne by heredity, and as they are not detrimental, being invisible in the Stygian darkness of the deep sea, they are not eliminated. Colors or markings such as the spots on the uniformly black fur of a melanic leopard or those sometimes seen in the coat of a domestic horse, are further illustrations. Albinism is total absence of color in hair, feathers, or skin, and even in the iris of the eye. The latter permits the color of the blood to show, causing the pink eyes so characteristic of pure albinos. The hair and feathers are white because the tiny spaces which normally should be filled with pigment granules are full of air, which reflects all of the light rays, just as froth or sea foam does. Melanism is the reverse of albinism, for instead of absence of pigment in the skin, there is a profusion of black coloring, giving a totally black hue to the entire animal. In both albinism and melanism, color markings may be plainly visible, but in the same manner that the pattern shows in a piece of brocade or damask fabric. An albino peacock, for instance, whose feathers are entirely white, shows the eye-like markings so characteristic of the tail plumes of the normal bird, and the black leopard, as has been said, shows the spots in the same way. 
both albinos and melanos often arise as sports or saltations in a brood or litter of normally colored individuals that there are blastogenic variations is evident for not only are they heritable mutations but they follow mendel's law in the ratio of their appearance certain races of albino birds and mammals have been established among domestic forms such as white mice rabbits chickens and pigeons in nature they should be distinguished from normally white or black species such as the various white species which inhabit the snow-clad arctic regions lack of pigment shows every degree of gradation from pure white through blotched or piebald individuals to those which show but faint traces of white valuable colors are such as evidently serve a direct physiological need they have been classified under the following heads according to the uses to which they are put sympathetic colors protective of the hunted aggressive of the hunter alluring colors see under aggressive mimicry warning colors mimetic colors signal and recognition marks confusing colors sexual colors sympathetic coloration is that wherein the hue of the animal harmonizes with its surroundings in such a way that it blends into the background and loses its conspicuousness in order to escape from its enemies or to lie in wait for its prey as the case may be to the first the name protective coloration is applied as in the case of an arctic hare while the second group may be called aggressively colored the arctic fox being an example in the final analysis however both are protective as it is just as essential to the fox that he be protected against starvation as it is to the hare that he be protected against slaughter the same species may vary in color in two ways known respectively as local colors and seasonal colors in the first the species has a wide range over areas varying in general hue so that the ground color of the animal if sympathetic must also vary to harmonize several grasshoppers acrididae whose hind wings are brilliantly colored red or yellow have the forewings beneath which the hinder ones fold when at rest as well as the remainder of the body colored to harmonize with the earth those found upon the area of the red shale in new jersey for instance will have reddish brown forewings while the same species near the seashore will be light gray to harmonize with the prevailing sands the gazelle one of the most wonderful instances of desert adaptation varies from white on the great sand plains to dark gray on the lava fields of volcanic districts among the hawk moths the caterpillar of that found on the convolvulus sphinx convolvuli when full grown is either green like its food plant or brown like the ground beneath it thus shows a double adaptation each phase of which is apparently capable of protecting it to the same extent as a matter of fact however the brown color is more effective than the green as we may learn from two facts in the first place the four young stages of the caterpillar are green and it only becomes brown in the last stage though sometimes even then it remains green this suggests that the brown is a relatively modern adaptation and probably would not have arisen had it not been better than the original green in the second place the green colored caterpillars are much less numerous at present than the brown ones 
and this implies that the latter survive oftener in the struggle for existence. Weissman. Another still more remarkable case is that of the Aesop prawn, Hippolyte, described by Gamble. The wakeful hours of Hippolyte are hours of expansion. The red and yellow pigments flow out in myriads of stars or pigment cells, chromatophores, and according to the nature of the background, so is the mixture of the pigments compounded to form a close reproduction both of its color and its pattern, brown on brown weed, green on ulva or seagrass, red on the red algae, speckled on the filmy ones. A sweep of the shrimp net detaches a battalion of these sleeping prawns, and if we turn the motley into a dish and give a choice of seaweed, each variety after its kind will select the one with which it agrees in color and vanish. At nightfall, Hippolyte, of whatever color, changes to a transparent azure blue. Its stolidity gives place to a nervous restlessness. At the least tremor, it leaps violently and often swims actively from one food plant to another. This blue fit lasts till daybreak and is then succeeded by the prawn's diurnal tint. Thus the color of an animal may express a nervous rhythm. A number of birds and mammals such as the ptarmigan, the arctic fox, the varying hare, and the weasel which puts on royal ermine for its winter dress, show a change of color from summer to winter. Harmonizing with the browns of leafy soil in summer and with the snow-covered ground in winter, the immediate stimulus to change on the part of the individual may well be increasing warmth or cold as the case may be, but temperature change is not believed to be the direct cause of the original assumption of the adaptation. For the common European hare, Lepus timidus, does not change its coat in spite of the cold. On the other hand, the varying hare, Lepus variabilis, also remains brown throughout the winter in southern Sweden, although the weather there may be exceedingly cold. In the higher Alps, the same species remains white for six or seven months, in the south of Norway for nine months, and in northern Greenland it is always white, as the snow rarely melts, except in localized areas, even in summer. The lemmings also turn white in winter, but experiments have shown that a captive lemming kept in a room in winter will not change color until exposed to the cold, the cold acting as a stimulus which incites the skin to the production of white hairs. It has been found that each of the several different life conditions under which animals are found is apt to make its impression upon its denizens in certain definite ways, so that their habitat is usually readily inferable from their general appearance, and this is notably true of color. For example, the desert animals are generally duns or greys, such as the gazelle already referred to, the camel, and the lion. Plains-dwelling forms are apt to simulate the color of dry grass, as in the case of the familiar buckskin horses, which become invisible at distances at which black, bay, or white horses are readily seen. Jungle folk are often striped like the tiger or zebra highly conspicuous forms when viewed in their menageries, but with colors which simulate the bars of sunlight and the lights and shadows among the tall jungle grasses. In the open, on the other hand, Roosevelt tells us that a little distance away the zebra's stripes become indistinct and he appears a uniform gray. 
forest-dwelling forms are apt to be dappled, giving the effect of the splashes of sunshine caused by the pencils of light which fall through the interstices of the leaves. Instances are the leopard and jaguar, the fallow deer, the boa among serpents, though here the pattern is more definite but wonderfully harmonious. Some forms, like the Virginia deer, the tapir, and the lion are spotted when young, but more uniformly colored when adult, which may well be of ancestral significance. Many forest insects are green, simulating the chlorophyll of the leaves very closely. Birds of temperate climates are rarely so, but in the evergreen forests of the tropics green birds of many different and unrelated families are abundant. Green insects can hibernate during the sear months in northern lands, but green birds, unless they be migrants, would be highly conspicuous when the trees are leafless. Arctic creatures are apt to be white, except the aquatic forms like the seals and walrus, and certain of these, phoca species, are white when very young. But if a polar bear were brown or black, he would inevitably starve. And on the other hand, a white animal away from the snowfields would be equally hard put to it to make a living. Sea and air mark their inhabitants alike, that is, if they are aggressive or wandering forms. Many seabirds are steely gray or blue above and white beneath, which makes them harmonize with the sea when viewed from above and with the sky when seen from below. Among the forms thus colored are the gulls and terns. Many fishes, such as the bluefish and mackerel, are similarly colored and for like reasons, even though they are aquatic rather than aerial. One curious instance is cited of a pelagic snail, Glaucus, which floats belly upward on the surface of the sea. Here the colors, blue on the ventral and silver-white on the dorsal side, are reversed with reference to the snail's anatomy, but correct from the standpoint of its life habits. Nocturnal creatures also wear a proper uniform of mottled brown or gray, such as one sees in the wildcat or owl which renders their prowling owner very difficult of discernment in the dim light, even to those with night-adapted vision. Warning colors are the conspicuous reds and yellows such as one sees upon the bodies of poisonous or unpalatable animals, like the hornet, coral snake, tiger salamander, gila monster, and many caterpillars and butterflies. These creatures are practically immune from attack if they are recognized in time, so that the advertisement of their dangerous nature must be a very conspicuous one. It does not profit a nauseous butterfly if it is not eaten after it is killed. It is the killing that must be avoided, and a single stroke of a bird's beak might well be sufficient to render the butterfly hors de combat. Its character must be recognized at once before the chance of fatal injury occurs. It may be that a few fatalities are necessary in order to impress each individual bird. On the other hand, the inherited instinct which we discussed in Chapter 11 may warn the bird that conspicuously colored animals are to be left alone, or tradition may take the place of instinct. At all events, most preying animals do recognize and avoid the warningly colored forms within the scope of their natural environment, but may have to learn by bitter experience to avoid strange enemies. 
experiments go to show that when hungry animals have been duped once or twice by having conspicuously colored unpalatable caterpillars offered to them they learn to discriminate and the coloring aids very largely in the attainment of this lesson this is even true of the unintelligent fishes while the warning coloration may well be the result of natural selection it has been suggested that very abundant deposition of a waste matter pigment may render an animal at once unpalatable and conspicuous this however would not account for the mimetic coloring to be discussed later which renders a palatable insect conspicuous and therefore immune from attack nor does it seem sufficient to account for the development of warning coloration in edible forms endowed with weapons of defense warning coloration sometimes carries with it the assumption of an attitude which heightens the effect and may be designed to strike terror to the enemy's heart such for instance is the spreading of the hood of the spectacled cobra cobra de capello in which the flattening out of the ribs of the neck region displays the conspicuous markings upon its dorsal side to advantage a small moth smyrinthus has large eye-like spots on the hinder wings which are concealed by the forward pair when the insect is at rest when it is annoyed however the wings are raised in such a way that the great staring eye-like markings are displayed an exhibition which must greatly impress the would-be assailant mimetic coloration will be discussed at greater length later in this chapter in brief it is a color resemblance between an animal and any other object animate or inanimate it may be either such as to conceal or it may be a warning coloration but in the latter instance it is merely a bluff though nevertheless of highly effective defensive value signal marks are apparently of very great importance among gregarious animals where mutual aid in time of danger is a characteristic a herd of virginia deer may be quietly grazing when one of the number becomes aware of danger as he starts off up goes the tail like a signal flag showing the conspicuous white of the underside and the adjacent parts of the animal's body which the lowered tail had covered this acts as a warning to the others and in an instant the herd is in full retreat the american antelope antilocapra has conspicuous areas of white hair on either rump which can be flashed in a similar manner through a spreading of the hair which reflects more light and forms a very effective danger signal a still more familiar example is that of the cottontail rabbit lepus sylvaticus whose signal flag gleams in the dusk and shows its young the way to safety in each instance the signal is instantaneous which may be of vital importance to the safety of the individuals recognition marks are such as the red and orange spots on the side of a brook trout salvalinus fontinalis which render it so beautiful a fish in general the trout obeys the law of sympathetic coloring a lurking fish in a shadowy pool being almost invisible to the enemy above as his dusky back is as harmonizing from that point of view as his light-colored belly would be from below but to creatures of his own kind and at his own level the characteristic speckledness is clearly discernible these recognition marks are also borne by many insects and are often as in the case of many butterflies and moths visible only when the animal is in motion for then no amount of protective coloration will avail its owner 
Under such circumstances, the sympathetic colors are on the exposed portions of the animal as it rests with its wings folded, that is, on the upper surface of the forewings in moths, and the under surface of both pairs in butterflies. For in the former group, the hind wings are folded beneath the fore, which lie roof-like against the sides of the body, while the butterflies bring the upper surfaces of the erectly held wings together, thus exposing their under surface. Confusing coloration. With many forms, such as the moths and butterflies which we have just described, the recognition coloring may be very conspicuous, so that during flight, when no protective coloring would avail, the eye follows it readily. A sudden settling of the instant, the brilliant color instantly disappears, and one loses sight of the insect completely, since its exposed coloring now harmonizes with the support on which it rests. Were the eye to follow the sympathetic color during flight, the resting insect would be much more readily discerned, but the sudden disappearance of the conspicuous color is highly confusing to a human observer, who looks in vain for the colored object and overlooks it in its transformed state, and the same must be true of pursuing creatures as well. The Katokala moth, with its red-banded hind wings, is an instant in point, and this coloration is not at all confined to insects, as certain somber-colored lizards have brilliant color on the underside of the tail, which the eye follows and loses as the creature stops after one of its lightning runs, and lowering the tail crouches in the sand, with which it now harmonizes to perfection. Sexual Coloration as we learned in the chapter on sexual selection, the males of birds and other forms are often much more conspicuously colored than their females, as, for instance, the cardinal bird with his gorgeous red nuptial plumage as compared with his soberly garbed mate. Other similar contrasts are seen in the oriole, bobolink, several ducks such as the wood duck and the eider, in the wild progenitor of domestic fowls, and in the related pheasants. Why the males are conspicuous is perhaps not so clear, but the protective coloration of the female must be of prime importance to the race, especially if she is nesting or a potential mother. The young males, which have not yet reached sexual maturity, are also protectively colored, so that in many cases it is extremely difficult except through anatomical examination to distinguish the young male from the female bird, even though the color contrast is so marked in the fully adult. The spotting of young animals such as the deer, lion, and puma is well known. The young tapir is similarly marked. The jungle fowl, the ancestral stock of our domestic chickens, are colored in their adult life much like the gamecock. The newly hatched chicks, on the other hand, instead of being plain yellow or dark colored as in most domestic breeds, bear two large longitudinal stripes along the back. That all of these infantile colors are of superior protective value to those of the adult, especially under the conditions surrounding babyhood, is, in many instances, evident, but some may well be more of historic than of immediate significance. In a higher insect, such as a moth or butterfly, egg, larva, pupa, and adult may each have a protective coloration suited to the immediate environmental need and differing markedly in each successive stage, that these colors aid in increasing the percentage of survival in each of the several stages is evident. 
End of chapter 15, part A. Recording by Eric Metzler, Albuquerque, New Mexico.